tonight we're going to talk about faith that leads to life. Faith that leads to life. I'm so thankful that my faith and your faith is not in vain. But when our faith is put in Jesus Christ, it leads to everlasting life. It leads to new life in Him. And no doubt I'm talking to people here tonight and those that are watching online that have experienced the new life that only Jesus can bring. But let me say as a disclaimer right here at the beginning that if you're here or you're watching online or watching this on YouTube later on and you've never experienced the new life that Jesus Christ can bring, in this lesson you're going to find exactly how you can experience life that is everlasting. Life that is full of joy and peace and, and doesn't mean everything's perfect in your life, but it means that God will give you a power and a peace through this entire life and that one day we will rule and reign with him, that we will truly have everlasting life with him. Aren't you thankful for that promise in God's word that we can have everlasting life? John 3:16, one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave. Everybody say he gave. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you want to just keep your finger in John chapter 3, that's where we're going to be bouncing around. That's really the, the passage that we're going to exegete tonight, that we're going to uh, dive into. And, and we'll talk about this whole narrative of Nicodemus coming to Jesus. This religious man, not just a religious man, but a religious ruler who comes to Jesus inquiring about the kingdom. How many here have ever heard of the name Roland Stewart? Anybody ever heard of him? Nobody, not even one. If you were a sports fan, an avid sports fan that lived through the 1980s, you might be familiar with his work and maybe seeing his picture on the screen will jog your memory. Uh, Roland Stewart was described by the Colorado Springs Gazette as a fixture in American sports culture throughout the 1980s. Stewart became known for showing up at every major sporting event in the country with a sign uh, boldly proclaimed across his chest, John 3.16. He always made sure to get seats where the cameras would catch him. And it wasn't very long that he realized he could even more easily catch the camera's eye if he would don this multicolored clown wig that you see in the screen there. So he would put this wig on and to bring maximum visibility to his message, he starts showing up at all of these sporting events. He makes his first television appearance in 1977 at the NBA Finals. Eventually, Roland would be spotted at the Olympics at the Augusta National Golf Club for uh, for the golf fans in the room or the Masters. He would be uh, spotted at the Kentucky Derby. He was at the World Series. He was repeatedly at the Super Bowl. And he was even, he even made an appearance across the pond at the royal wedding of Princess Diana and Prince Charles. He wore a rainbow-colored wig every time he would show up to draw attention to himself and really trying to draw attention to this message that was on his chest, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He traveled over 60,000 miles annually to promote the John 3.16 message. This single Bible verse. However, Stuart's life and story took a tragic twist. He was married multiple times with finally his wife, his fourth wife, filing for divorce in 1990 over allegations of physical abuse. After that, his behavior became more increasingly erratic and strange as time passed. And in September of 1991, he held three hostages in a hotel room near Los Angeles International Airport. The SWAT team showed up. And Stewart was arrested. Eventually, he was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences 
for his crime. And he is currently still incarcerated in the state of California prison system. Roland Stewart's ministry, as he called it at the time, came to a sad and abrupt end. Probably not an unexpected end for those who knew his life and personal story even during all of that time. Of course, Roland's story came to a tragic end. The popularity of John 3.16 still lives on. In fact, according to Lifeway Research, it's the most popular Bible verse searched on the Internet. Many people, frequently, daily, needing the reminder that God still loves us, that God so loved the world. So what does John 3.16 really have to do with this guy, Roland Stewart? This guy who seemed to have this great message that he wanted to share but ended in such a tragic way. I'll tell you, Roland Stewart is a tragic and extreme example of what I would say is rather common in our world and dare I say without being offensive, even common in Christianity. And that is this. He had discovered Christianity, but he had not really discovered a faith that led to new life. He discovered the Bible verse John 3.16, but he had not really discovered a faith that works. He had discovered John 3.16, but he hadn't really found out that there is a God that doesn't just want to get in the headspace of your knowledge and your brain cells, but there's a God that wants to literally change the details of your life. That there is a God that doesn't just want to be a Bible verse that you emblazon across your chest, but how much more of a witness can you be when that power of that God comes on the inside of your life and literally leads you to a brand new life? And everybody around you doesn't just see something you wear, but they see something that you are. I'm telling you, faith that leads to life, faith that works, faith that leads to life is, is a faith that, not ju- that doesn't just impact how, how you think once in a while. It doesn't just impact a verse that you recite periodically in the morning. It doesn't just impact the clothing that you wear, John 3.16 across your chest or not. It doesn't just impact a clown wig that you wear to the royal wedding. But it impacts the details of your life. It impacts the reality of your existence. A faith that leads to life is a faith that changes everything about your life. Real faith. Can I tell you? Real faith is more than Sunday morning only faith. Real faith is more than token to Jesus faith. You know what that is, right? Where you just give him a token of your time, a token of your resources, a token of your ability. You feel good because you gave him a half hour here, church service. You say, well, well, half hour, but our services are an hour. I know, but, you know, maybe you only gave him a half hour. Maybe you're disengaged the rest of the time. (laughs) Or maybe you showed up a half hour late. I don't know. (laughs) You give him a little time here, a little time there. Maybe, you, you know, faithful in your stewardship here or there. Maybe you're faithful in your giving of your time or, you know, you're a witness here or there, but not really consistently. Faith that leads to life and faith that works is it's faith that changes everything about your life. It's where he gets in every single part of my existence. Faith leads to new life. There's probably no greater example uh, of this, just in, in the nutshell of a story, than the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus. This incredible biblical example of a faith that works and a faith that leads to life we find in, in John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, the Bible says, under the cover of night. And Nicodemus, this guy, if you, to know just a little bit about him, he's a Pharisee. 
and he's a member of the Sanhedrin, two different groups. So the Pharisees, of course, they were a, a very strict religious group, uh, a conservative Jew that held a strict adherence to Moses' law. Uh, the average Jewish citizen uh, would have greatly revered the, the Pharisees because of their religious piety, because of how uh, devout they lived. Every area of their life was touched by their faith. And so the Pharisees take a bad rap. The Pharisees, we beat up on them a lot. Preachers and teachers and Bible readers and Bible students, we beat up on the Pharisees a lot. And there's plenty there to beat up. I've beat up on them too. But the truth is the Pharisees uh, were very devoted. They were very committed. Uh, commitment was not one of their problems. Devotion was not one of their problems. Uh, they, were, they were very committed, very devoted people. Now, the Sadducees, uh, the ruling party, uh, the ruling Jewish party of Jesus' day, uh, the Sadducees uh, may or may not have been Pharisees, but they were rulers. But this man, Nicodemus, is a, is a Pharisee, is also a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of Israel. He's, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. That, so he's not just a religious guy, a religious figure in the community, but he's a religious, he, he's a leader, a, a political leader, and a religious leader. Leader, and so this is a very influential guy that we're reading about in 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 chapter three of John. He, he's a very influential guy, a guy whose whose voice carries a lot of weight in the known world and in his communities at that time. And and Jesus is approached by Nicodemus under the cover of night, likely because he didn't want the other Pharisees to know that he was hungry to know who this crazy prophet teacher that's going around Judea was. Who this crazy guy going around declaring and, and the word of God and performing all these miracles. He comes to Jesus under the cover of night. Many of the Sanhedrin, many of the Pharisees, they hated Jesus. And one of the reasons they hated Jesus because Jesus was not ever afraid to confront their hypocrisy. Jesus isn't afraid to confront hypocrisy. And we shouldn't be afraid to confront hypocrisy. Now, I'm not giving you license. I'm not knighting anyone here to go around and confront hypocrisy in somebody else, okay? But you know who you should confront hypocrisy in? The person in the mirror. And if the spirit of Jesus Christ, fast forward in the lesson, is living inside of you, you should allow his spirit to confront the person in the mirror. The inconsistencies, the hypocrisies in her life. Isn't it amazing? You know, it, it's so funny when I, I, I just, I get tickled sometimes when I hear people talk about the church being hypocrites or church, churches are full of hypocrites or, you know, churches this or that or man, there's people in, I, I just get so tickled when I hear stuff like that because like, I don't care who that is saying it. I don't care who that is. If you just look at 60 minutes of their day, some of them you would need 60 seconds of their day. But you just look at 60 minutes of their day and you would find multiple hypocrisies in their life. Multiple inconsistencies. We better, we better be careful we don't try to get the sliver out of somebody else's eye while we got a two by four hanging out our own eye. Right? So Jesus wasn't afraid to confront this and the Sanhedrin didn't like it for it. And, and, and he comes to Jesus by night. But hear me tonight. Or, that, that Jesus, when he's, when he's approached by Nicodemus at night, Nicodemus coming to him at night is not just trying to escape the eye of the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin or the Sadducees. He's coming to Jesus at night in the cover of darkness. And I would tell you that's symbolic of the spiritual darkness that the entire nation was in at the time. The spiritual darkness that was over all the Pharisees and all of the Sanhedrin. They didn't comprehend spiritual truth. They didn't comprehend Jesus when he came to them, and they were in the dark, as the scripture says. But Jesus, thank God, he came as the light of the world, according to John chapter 9. He came as the light of the world to illuminate their understanding and their experience. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. It's clear from his opening statement that he professes some measure of faith in Jesus when this Pharisee, Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, comes to Jesus by night. His first words in verse 2, if you're following along, in verse 2, he says, Rabbi, 
We know you're a teacher come from God. No miracle, no man can do these miracles except God be with him. In other words, all these things that you're doing, there is no way any man. I've heard lots of crazy country preachers before, is what he's saying. I've heard these preachers going throughout the boroughs and, and the neighborhoods and stirring people up. But nobody is telling the blind to see and they actually see. Nobody's telling the lame to get up and they actually get up. It was a seed of faith that drew Nicodemus to Jesus. He didn't fully understand. Watch this. He didn't fully understand who Jesus was. He didn't even fully understand his own questions. But his seed of faith drew him to Jesus. Let your seed of faith keep drawing you to Jesus. Let the seed of faith that God has planted in your heart. The Bible says to every man is given a measure of faith. So whether you know it or not, there is a measure of faith in your life tonight. There's a measure of faith. Let that measure of faith keep drawing you closer to God. He didn't fully understand who Jesus was. He knew he was of God. He didn't fully understand what Jesus had come to do, but he allowed that seed of faith to germinate. Too many people cut the seed of faith off before it fully germinates. Don't do that. Keep hungering for God. Keep growing. If you're new in your faith journey, or maybe uh, maybe you're newer in your faith journey, or maybe you've kind of abandoned your faith journey and you've kind of got back into your faith journey, don't, I'm telling you, let that seed of faith keep drawing you to Jesus. There's going to be days that it's easier to get to Jesus. There's going to be days you wake up and you want to come to church. There's going to be days you wake up and you want to talk to Jesus. You want to pray. And then there's going to be days you're going to have 101 reasons not to do anything special spiritual but let that seed of faith keep drawing you to Jesus because the closer you get to him the spiritual darkness will get removed off of your eyes and your spirit the closer you get to him you will find that he is the light of the world and he can shine a light in the darkest places of your life he's coming to Jesus and 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 Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. Jesus answers a question that Nicodemus didn't even ask. He's not even asking. And, and Jesus does this often in the Gospels. If you read about his, his life and ministry, he cuts right to the heart of the matter. Jesus did not pander. He did not play around. He did not mince words. Even when they thought he was talking in circles, telling parables and stories, he was just leading them right into the place that he wanted them to be to teach them the truth that he wanted to teach them, right? So he's not wasting words with Nicodemus. He, Nicodemus talks to him. He says, no man can, can do these miracles except God be with him. We know you're a teacher. He doesn't even ask a question. He just makes a statement. He's Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. Nobody could do these miracles unless God be with him. Jesus looks at him. He doesn't say, oh, well, thank you for noticing. Thank you. That's so kind of you. Thank you for the compliment. No. He looks at him. He says, verily, verily, which is King James for listen up, bud. <laughs> he says, listen up. Except the man be born again of the water and the spirit, he cannot even see the kingdom of heaven. Now, this guy is a guy who feels like his faith puts him right smack dab in the middle of whatever kingdom is kingdom. And Jesus looks at him. He says, Unless you're born again of the water and the spirit, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Gee, Nicodemus, he didn't even ask him about being born again. He didn't say one thing about being born again. He didn't even ask about the kingdom of God. He didn't even possess enough spiritual understanding to formulate a question like that. Not only was he not asking the question, he wasn't smart enough to ask the question. Jesus knows how to answer questions. You're not even smart enough to ask. Jesus knows how to deal with subjects that I don't even know how to approach with him. He knew what Nicodemus needed. In fact, the Bible says uh, Jesus, not only he knew what Nicodemus needed, and he pointed the conversation in that direction. John later recorded 
that there were chief rulers who believed on Jesus because the Pharisees, but because of the Pharisees, John 12, they did not confess him. They believed in Jesus, but because the Pharisees, in other words, they were intimidated, they didn't confess Jesus. Don't let anybody intimidate your faith. It's astounding to me that we are living in such a bold and brash world. I mean, people will confess and profess anything. People will confess and profess absolute lunacy. And if that's what you believe, then by George, that's your reality. I hate to break it to some folks. There's only one reality. Like, there's not... Like there, there's seven billion people in the world, but there's not seven billion different realities, folks. <laughs> I mean, oxygen is oxygen for everybody. Gravity, gravity for everybody. Reality is real. Like you may have some twisted ways of approaching reality. You may have some demented ways that you have lied to yourself. But there's only one truth. There's only one reality, and and. And they were intimidated to profess their faith because of the Pharisees. Don't let this world intimidate you to profess your faith. People will, why is it that you can profess anything you want crazy in our world today? You can, it's more acceptable in our world to say you're a kitty cat and meow and go to the bathroom in a litter box than it is for you to stand up and say, listen, I'm a Christian and I believe that God created the world and I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and I believe his blood paid the price for my sin. Why is, why is one more acceptable than the other? Don't let that environment that we're living in force your faith underground. Okay? Be bold in your faith. I didn't say be stupid in your faith. I didn't say be ugly or mean or abrasive with your faith. Uh, but don't be afraid to show your faith. The Bible says that they didn't profess Jesus because the, Pharise the Pharisees, excuse me, did not confess Jesus because they were fearful of what others might think. Don't be in that category. You got to profess your belief in Jesus. Mental assent is not enough. Mental confession or acknowledgement is not enough. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus still doesn't understand. He responds with the how question in verse 4, if you're following along in John chapter 3, verse 4. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, the, the, the critics of Christianity have ridiculed faith for years. But Nicodemus was not a scoffer. He was not asking that question as a critic. He was asking that question as a, a sincere hunger and a desire to know. How, do I enter back into my mother's womb a second time? This conversation and these questions by Nicodemus, hear me. They should let you know, they should remind you that God is not scared off or put off by your questions. Let me say it again. God is not scared off and he's not put off by your questions. He's not scared away by the things you don't understand. He's not scared away. Now, I know sometimes, uh, to all the parents that are in the room, sometimes if, if you've been a parent for very long, you get to a point in your kid's life where you get tired of answering questions. And they go through these phases in life where they ask lots of questions. And sometimes, it, like, everything you answer, everything you say, you can explain it to them. You can show them a PowerPoint, a video. And they're going to get done. They're going to look at you with a one-word question. Yeah, you did, they've asked you too. Why? Why? They want to know, right? And, and there's a point as parents, you know, we've talked about days in faith and days in church gone by where you didn't ask questions. And that was certainly uh, a, a more prevalent culture in some churches. 
uh, in decades gone by. You didn't ask questions. And, and, I, and I will, I'm going to preface this by saying there, there's a difference between a sincere Nicodemus-type question, someone who's hungry and wants to know, and the question that is a spirit of questioning that I would trace all the way back to the serpent in the Garden of Eden that is just like that little kid that's just going to keep asking questions because the goal of that type of one, the goal of one question is to produce faith. The goal of Nicodemus' question, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that if Jesus said, no, you, it, it, yeah, to be born again, you have to get back in your mother's womb a second time, he would have went to the doctor and said, doc, help me figure this out. He was hungry to know, right? But, but the questioning that comes from the serpent in the Garden of Eden, that's a spirit of question. He's not hungering to know, he's hungering to challenge your faith. There's a difference. There's a difference. Hungering to dismantle faith or hungering to prove and build faith. What I'm telling you is, though, is we can't take that attitude that we have sometimes as parents and just get sick of the questions. Just quit asking me questions. Don't talk to me while I drive. <laughs> Go ask your mother. So let me, let me just say, I, I get as annoyed as the questions as anybody here, but parents grandparents, if we're doing our job, we better make sure we take time to answer questions. Well, let me me paint this picture for you. Because if they can't sit there and ask you the question that seems so dumb and foolish and you may not even know how to understand, how to explain it, how, why, when you turn the light switch on, lights come on, and a simple question like that that has really no spiritual significance, but if you don't let them become comfortable asking you questions like that, when there are questions that matter, they're not going to come to you with those questions either. Okay? So just some parenting, grandparenting help here, okay? Or anybody who has an influence on any kids. You got to lean into their questions, okay? And if it's not a good time, say, you know what? Let me write that down, and I'm going to answer your question. They have to know that you have to develop that, that rut in the road that they know who to come to, because there will come a day, if you don't teach them, they can come to you to answer their questions. They're, they're going to find somebody, because there's going to be some questions. They may forget about the electric question about how the lights come on, but there's going to be other questions they don't forget about. There's going to be other questions that they don't forget, and, and they don't just go away, and they're going to be asked. Asking somebody somewhere about that question. So let them ask you the questions. Let me tell you. But God, if your heart's sincere, God doesn't get tired of your questions. He doesn't get sick of your questions. He, he's not put off by your questions. He's not ashamed by your questions. He, he, he's not at all. In fact, Nicodemus proves this. In fact, Hebrews says that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So if you're hungering for him, if you're seeking for him, if your faith has put you on a quest for more of him, keep asking the questions. Keep digging in the word of God. We can seek God. What we learn from Nicodemus is that we can seek God. We can seek to understand. We can seek to know even when we don't have the answers to the question. Even when it's not clear, we can still seek God and we'll find out. What Nicodemus also teaches us is that when when we're exercising our faith, when we're reaching out in faith, Jesus knows your your deepest thoughts. He knows your most hidden thoughts, and he knows your deepest needs. How many are thankful that he knows the real you? He offered an assurance to anybody who comes to him in prayer. He said, your father knows the things that you have need of in Matthew chapter 6. He said, your father knows the things you have need of even before you ask of him. Now, this is great news because a lot of times we don't really know what we need how many have been ever asked the question what do you want to eat (laughs) sorry I didn't mean to start something I don't know where you want to go eat I don't know what sounds good to you I don't know you pick okay I pick this no not that well you said you didn't know obviously you know Start twitching, having flashbacks here. 
give some marriage advice to everybody here. <laughs> hey, let me just give you this free marriage tip, okay? If she says she don't want any french fries, don't believe her. Because you're going to order the small fry, and then you're going to be mad, and you're going to have a fight, okay? So even if she says she don't want any french fries, still get a medium or a large, okay? Because you would rather, you would rather waste that extra $1.06 that it's going to cost you to upgrade your french fry. You'd rather waste that dollar than to have a fight over a small french fry, okay? There's free marriage advice. Write it down, put it in your notes, and it'll help you. It'll save you, okay? <laughs> we don't... <laughs> We don't really know what we need sometimes, but God knows what we need. Nicodemus comes to Jesus with a certain purpose in mind, hoping to get a particular answer. He comes to Jesus trying to figure out who he is, but because Jesus knows Nicodemus' thoughts, because he knows Nicodemus' needs, Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. You may not realize that, but he created you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He he knows everything about you, okay? Jesus knows what you need, Nicodemus, even when you don't know how to ask it. So what does that mean? That means we can confidently come to God with our thoughts, our questions, our doubts, our prayers. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that he searches our minds and hearts. Now, for some, that may be a terrifying realization, that God searches your heart and your mind. But, but you don't have to worry about that. You can just trust that he knows what's in your heart. He knows what's in your mind. And because of that, he responds to Nicodemus and he clearly explains this idea of new birth. He explains, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus goes, huh, what? Mother's womb again? That doesn't make sense. Jesus says you must be born of the water. It's clear from the context uh, of this conversation that Jesus is referring to water baptism. That he said you must be born of water. You must be born again. The opening of John's gospel includes this discussion between John the Baptist and representatives sent from the Pharisees about the importance of water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism. John the Baptist was baptizing his followers in the Jordan River. You can see John chapter 1 verses 28, 31, 33 and he receives this supernatural sign that Jesus is the son of God and 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 Jesus is the one. His this God, this power from God is the one who would baptize with the Holy Ghost. And, and, and this this Holy Ghost, this promise of the Spirit or baptism of the Spirit, this is what's coming and you can fast forward in the Bible and read about this in the book of Acts. We might get to that just briefly here in a moment. But immediately following his conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus and his followers, they go into the land of Judea, the Bible says, and they baptize, John chapter 3 and verse 22. And you can see the rest of that chapter as well of John chapter 3. So if you look at all the New Testament statements, examples, stressing the importance of baptism. Everybody say baptism. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Ladies and gentlemen, it's imperative that we obey the command of Jesus. And that we are baptized in Jesus' name. Or we are born of water as he tells Nicodemus so that we can have a faith that leads to life or a faith that needs to new life he said you can't even enter the kingdom you don't have kingdom life Nicodemus if you're not baptized now if you preach that in some Christian circles or even a mixed multitude of Christian circles today you would be shut down you would be banned you would be silenced because oh you don't want to disagree with anybody but I'm, I'm, I don't know maybe I'm just ignorant enough to believe that we ought to just preach what Jesus said and we shouldn't change it because this group says that and that group says this. And if you're a Bible believer, if you're a Christian, a Bible-believing Christian, let's just believe what Jesus said. Let's just do what Jesus said to do. And let's bring people to a place of decision where once you know what Jesus said, then you have to decide for yourself, I'm either going to agree with Jesus or I'm going to disagree with Jesus. Jesus said, 
you must be born again. Clearly, he's stating that the full new birth experience doesn't just include being born of the water, but it includes being born of the Spirit. We cannot stop at water baptism. He says you must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. You must be born again of the water and the Spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven. Spirit baptism would be accompanied by a sign. Jesus said. He compared spirit baptism to the blowing of the wind. The Greek word there is pneuma, referring to the wind of the spirit, the blowing of the wind of the spirit of God. Jesus noted that both the wind blows and the spirit moves and are both accompanied by a sound. The Greek word there is phone, where we get phonetic or uh, phonics or sound. It's, It's translated typically voice in other New Testament passages. There's going to be a voice. That word phone in the Bible is translated voice. There is going to be a sound come from heaven when you're born again of the Spirit. There's going to be a sound come from your voice when you're born again of the Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You hear the sound. When the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost, fast forward to Acts chapter 2. There's a sound that comes from heaven, chapter 2, verse 2, of a rushing mighty wind, a sound. And the wind of the Spirit produced another sound two verses later in verse 4 of chapter 2. The Bible says in verse 4 of chapter 2, they begin speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. There was a sound that came out of them as they were filled with the Spirit. 120 believers gathered in the upper room of Jerusalem. They're obedient to Jesus Christ's command in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. And they are the first to experience this new birth experience that Jesus was describing to Nicodemus in our text, John chapter 3. But they were not the last. You see it all throughout the book of Acts, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. You see it referenced all throughout the Pauline letters and the epistles. Today, millions, multiplied millions of believers around the world have been baptized in Jesus' name and have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, speaking in that, in that other tongue, in that heavenly language, just like Jesus is telling Nicodemus, just like the New Testament disciples experienced in Acts chapter 2. Can I just ask you a question? If somebody tells you that this is not for the church today, that this stopped with the new, you cannot deny that this happened. I mean, it's written right there. You would literally have to say the words do not mean what the words mean. Like literally even the words in English in a King James Bible. You'd have to say that, oh, and that's what it says, but that's not what it means, okay? So what then they have to say is, well, that's not for us today. The next person who tells you, It's not for us today. Ask them to show you anywhere in the Bible that it says that. Just anywhere in the Bible that it says that spirit baptism and water baptism is not for us today. You won't find it. Not one place from Genesis to Revelation will you find that it's not for us today. But watch this. Jesus says all this to Nicodemus. He still doesn't understand. This religious teacher had begun this conversation by stating, we know. In other words, he's he's proving his intellect. We know there ought a rabbi come from God. And in just a few sentences, in just a couple of verses, Jesus has already stretched Nicodemus' understanding so far past the breaking point, he's just dumbfounded. He doesn't, he's trying to grasp this whole concept of spirit baptism Water baptism, the wind blowing. There's this great clip I want to show you from the chosen that depicts this scene. I think, despite his extensive knowledge of the scriptures, he still doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. He doesn't grasp what Jesus is saying. And sadly, if I can say this, and I don't mean to sound offensive when I do, but there are many believers that are on the path of faith but they still don't understand what Jesus said. When he said, you must be born again. There are are many, I would say, even like Nicodemus, 
this is not taking a shot at anyone or any group or anything. It's just a, a statement of what I believe is fact. There is many faithful religious people just like Nicodemus that are doing what they know to do but yet they still don't fully comprehend the import of what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, for you to even see the kingdom of God, you must be born again of the water and of the spirit. You must be born again or you cannot even see the kingdom of God. Can I tell you tonight that human intelligence is not enough to, to implore spiritual truths? Human intelligence is not enough. Human reasoning, human philosophy is not enough. You cannot get to a place of mental ascent. That's why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 1, 21, he said the world, uh, the world by wisdom knew not. God. In fact, the world with all of their wisdom then didn't know God, and the world with all of their wisdom today still doesn't know God. But what does Jesus say? How do you know him? You must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. You must be baptized in water and receive the gift of the Spirit. And the good news is salvation doesn't require any specific intellect. It doesn't require any specific level of mental assent or understanding. The only requirement for salvation is that I am obedient to my faith, that I have a faith in God. God, and I'm obedient to that faith and that faith will lead me on a path to new life somebody ought to just give God thanks right now hallelujah 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 that's why Simon Peter if I'm teaching this tonight and you already know this and this is old news, well, consider this a refresher and you take this, you go get the YouTube and, 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 and re-watch it and use it as a Bible study tool to, to teach or share with somebody. But if this is new information to you, let the spirit of the God that created you, let the word of the God that created you speak to you and lead you to a place of new life today. This is why on the day of Pentecost, when Simon Peter gets up and preached, he preaches the necessity of water baptism and spirit infilling in the name of Jesus Christ. He says you must be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of all your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because he perfectly understood what Jesus had been teaching all of those years of ministry. Not only did he understand it, the rest of the disciples understood it. Because as we know from their story, the disciples were a bit competitive. They were jockeying for a position. Do you not think when Simon Peter got his moment to step to the balcony of the upper room of Jerusalem and preach to a crowd of thousands that day, do you not think that if he'd have got it wrong, one of them would have jerked his coattail and said, whoa, 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 that's not what Jesus said. But they didn't. They affirmed what he said. And he said, you must repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says there were approximately 3,000 people that received this word. They were baptized, received this experience, and the same Holy Ghost that fell in the upper room for the 120 fell in the 3,000. Can I tell you, this is not anybody who tells you this, this is some exclusive idea is, is a lunatic. I'm sorry. That's offensive. I, maybe I should have used another word. Toothpaste already out of the tube. Anybody who tells you that this is not for you is crazy. This is not some exclusive thing. This is not some branded, labeled product that only a specific church group has access to. That's absolute that's absolute heresy. That's absolute lunacy. This is a Bible truth that is available to any believer who wants Jesus Christ in their life. This is a Bible truth that is available to whosoever will. Jesus, and I'm closing with this. He explained who he is. He explained why he came. John 3.16, one of the most quoted verses in the Bible, the verse we started off with tonight. It summarizes the gospel message. Summarizes what Jesus said, which again, you cannot take John 3.16 out of context of the rest of John chapter 3. It's Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And there are some people who will take John 3.16 and say, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
They say, all you got to do is believe, as in some place of mental ascent where I say, hmm, 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 I believe. <laughs> and I, I'm not mocking, I'm just, I'm just being silly to let you know that, that what Jesus said in verse 16 wasn't even 10 verses removed from the command he gave the Nicodemus in the same, it's, some people are like children. They hear what they want to hear. Go, go clean your room and then you can go out and play. And all they hear is go out and play. Right? There are people who all they hear is verse 16. But it's after Jesus had this whole multiverse discourse with Nicodemus that you must be born again of the water and of the Spirit or you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus is telling him, he's clearly speaking that biblical belief is more than mental acknowledgement. It is more than mental assent. It is more than just a verbal confession of faith. But Jesus died on the cross and he gave us clear commands to apply the gospel message to his life to our life and that is you must be born again of the water and of the spirit can I tell you just as Nicodemus came to Jesus by night he came under the cover of physical darkness and under the cover of spiritual darkness to the one who can illuminate any dark place Jesus Christ the light of the world John said in chapter 1 and verse 9, The true light that lighteth every man cometh to this world. The true light is who Nicodemus came to. And brothers and sisters, if you're going to find truth in your life, you've got to come to the true light. You've you got to check the source. You can't get light from just any old place. You can't get answers from just anywhere. You've got to come to the true light. But why, don't, why doesn't everybody do this, right? Why doesn't everybody just believe this? Why doesn't everybody, that's the question, right? Why doesn't everybody just obey this? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Jesus told Nicodemus in verse 19. He said, it's very simple. If you're following along in, in chapter 3, verse 19, he says, because men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Their darkness was a cover for their pride, their darkness was a cover for their flesh. Their darkness was a cover for them to just do what they wanted to do. So why didn't they embrace the light? Because they loved the darkness. I hope you're not so in love with the darkness of your life. I hope there's nobody here tonight or watching online so in love with the darkness of your existence that you will not embrace the light of Jesus Christ. We must embrace the light of Jesus Christ. And if we do, it will lead us to being born again. There is no truth. There is no light outside of his light. There is no truth outside of his truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's only by Jesus Christ. And you know what Jesus told Nicodemus? In the very last verse of his conversation with Nicodemus, here's what he says. How do you come to the light? How do you have all of this? He already addressed the issue of darkness. There's people. What, what is darkness? What is darkness? To some, darkness is their tradition. There are people who are more in love with their traditions than they are with the pursuit of truth. And I know that might hit differently for everybody, but hear me. There are some people that will not accept this simply because that's not how they were raised. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there's lots of things that I do that I wasn't raised to do. I don't know if my mom and my stepdad ever had a savings account. If they did, I didn't know about it. We lived paycheck to paycheck existed on government assistance but you think just because they didn't have a savings account because that's not the way I was raised that I'm going to be ignorant with my finances and not figure out how to save some money just because they didn't have a retirement do you think I'm going to be just blow every dime I get and not plan for the future right what are you saying pastor I'm saying 
We do lots of things that we weren't raised to do because we find a better way. And I'm not, I'm not bashing my mother or my stepfather. I'm just telling you there, there were some missing pieces in my upbringing and probably in some of yours in some of those areas. I was never taught to save money. I had to learn that later in life. Somebody else had to teach me that. But I'd be 10 types of a fool and none of them very smart to say, well, I'm not going to save money because that's not how I was raised. So why in the world would somebody religiously say, I see it, but I am not going to do it because that's not how I was raised. That's silly. That's just silly. If you see there's a better way, leave the darkness, come to the light. That's what Jesus said. Don't love the darkness more than the light. How do you come to the light? Here's what he says. Last verse we'll read. Last part of the conversation. Verse 21. He that doeth. Anybody in verse 21 with me? What does it say in your Bible? He that doeth. Who's got their Bible open? Shout it out at me. What's that next word? Somebody say it. He that doeth what? Truth. He that doeth truth cometh to the light. How do you come to the light? You do the truth. Society says you just do good deeds. You can be an evil person, but if you do good deeds, those good deeds cancel out. You're evil. No. Jesus' math doesn't work that way. You can't just do terrible things, but then because you do a good deed or two, I mean, that's the kind of that's the kind of pass we give to Hollywood and pop culture stars and sports stars. I mean, we celebrate them and cheer them. And some they may be wife beaters. They may be girlfriend abusers. They may be absolute drug addicts. They may be on their 16th marriage. But we celebrate them because there's a picture of them at a hospital helping a cancer patient, a kid with cancer, right? In the world's math... You can be a terrible person, but if you do a good deed, it balances it. Cancel. Jesus' math doesn't work that way. He said, if you want to come to the light, you can't just go volunteer to soup kitchen to come to the light. That's good. I hope more believers do that stuff. You can't just go volunteer to hospital to come to the light. That's good. I hope more believers do that stuff. But he says, if you want to come to the light, you have to do the truth. You have to do the truth. You have to do the gospel. You have to do everything I'm teaching you. That's how you come to the light. Oh, if you're thankful for this message of light, if you're thankful for this message of life, why don't you clap your hands, stand to your feet. Let's, I feel like we ought to just give the Lord praise right now.